you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have with me Mike Hayashi. Mike has provided powerful training seminars to the Fortune 500 and universities across America and as far as Aruba and Jamaica to move toward his life's mission, End Violence Against Women. Corporate and public events at 587 organizations in 27 states, including Arizona State University, the University of Hawaii, Northern Arizona University, the Ritz-Carlton, IBM, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Motorola, Apple, PepsiCo, the Mayo Clinic, and American Airlines. These have provided Mike the opportunity to educate and empower active people since 1988. With over 500,000 men and women attending his events, plus 8 million viewers via 450 television appearances, Mike was nominated for two TV Emmy Awards and has been called the country's foremost authority on women's safety, security, and self-empowerment for over two decades. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Man, I'm tired just listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of wears me you out. Wore me out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'd like to start off by um, one question. I ask this of everybody so that the audience knows who they're talking to, and that is, tell your story. How'd you get to, how'd you get to where you are? Uh, it was not a straight path, that's for sure. I um, grew up in a military family. My father's uh, military for almost 30 years. Uh, we were very fortunate. We didn't travel quite a bit as, you know, as much as some other family members and friends that I know. We moved from Hawaii, which is where I was born and raised. I'm fourth generation born and raised in Hawaii. Uh, we were there 10 years, and then he got the uh, order to go to Japan, which is kind of cool. He wanted that order, so we got to Japan when I was 10, and then we were there till I was 14. That's where I got introduced to the martial arts. Good place to start. So we started there in judo, went back to the States, uh, ended up in Illinois, uh, where my dad retired. But uh, while we were there, got into karate and uh, moved on to Taekwondo, Muda Kwan, Tai Chi, little jujitsu, um, little ninjutsu. So the, the martial arts were there and I kept studying, but I had two things going on. And this is what led me to the career I have. Um, father was military which for a lot of people that are military brats would understand that right away and he was also a drinker and he had a, he had a he had a temper because of his upbringing uh so in today's society he'd be labeled an abusive parent you know and the police put a bike knocking on our door but in those days it was pretty you know normal uh military families had things going on so um we were always uh, waiting to see what kind of mood he was getting, would be in when he got home and if he'd been drinking or not. And bless his heart, he would be the first to admit he was not a good father. You know, he knocked us around and uh, ran a strict, ran a strict uh, boot camp, I guess. But um, he was a great grandfather. It's too bad he passed away before he could spend a more years with my, with my kids. But uh, that got me into a phase of, you know, I hated that feeling, you know, that feeling of what if. And, and that feeling of don't say the wrong thing or don't do the wrong thing. Um, and then when I got into martial arts, I learned that I could control that, that fear and that anger. And then when I got to college, this is probably what kind of triggered everything for me, too. When I got to college, I was a drummer <laughs> in a band, and uh, I was playing gigs on a weekend. And I met this waitress at this country club on a gig one night. It was a Saturday night and just fell in love, just kind of that, you know, yeah 
fall in love with the first site. And it took us three months to set up the first date. She was not going to my college, so we had to set that up. But on our first date, she and I went to a movie, went to dinner, heading back to my dorm. I kicked my roommate out. I thought this was going to be, you know, a great weekend. And she's reaching in her purse. And I thought, okay, she's reaching for, you know, breath mint or something. It's going to be our first kiss. We've been waiting three months. And she turns around. She has a switchblade. She pops this switchblade, puts it about four or five inches from my face and says, I got to tell you something. Um, and I, I only tell you this because I trust you. And she began this story in great detail of how she was gang raped a couple of years before. So I'm listening to the story, but I'm watching two things. I'm watching the knife, but I'm also watching her eyes and her eyes lit up. And you could see when she was telling me what these four guys did to her. It, you could see the anger behind all you know, what had happened. She's not over it. And she carried that blade because she was afraid this was, you know, going to happen sometime in the future and she'd be ready this time. And when she ended the story, I'm kind of shaking. I didn't know what to make of it. I'm like, you know, what am I, 17, 18 years old? And it's our first date. And she says, I just, I like you, Mike, but I have, you, we have to have an understanding. No one's ever going to do that to me again. Do we understand each other? And she points that knife in front of my face. I said, yes, her name is Carol. I said, yes, Carol, I understand. I would never, ever do that. And I would never even think about doing this to you. I'm so sorry you went through this. And for the rest of the weekend, I was, you know, what am I? I'm 18. I don't know anything else with the martial arts. I'm teaching her kicks and punches and things like that out in the quad. And that's not what she needed. And I didn't know how to teach her. But when we broke up a few months later, I said, you know what? I don't know how or when, but I'm going to do something so that other people don't have to go through what she went through. Nobody should have to. She, I hope she got therapy. I hope she got counseling because she needed it. She still hated men. And there's nothing I could do, but I'm still a man. So, you know, when you grab somebody's hand and they pull their hand away, or you try to put your arm around them and they pull it off. It's, it was just a reflex to her. Uh, she was still very angry. I started that point saying, you know, someday I'll do something. And when I was teaching high school, after I graduated, I always had a karate club in the high school, wherever I taught, near Chicago, Illinois, uh, Arizona. And I started three karate studios back in the Midwest and then here in Arizona. But I wasn't reaching who I wanted to reach. Wait, I, I, I just, you know, I'm saying I want to teach more women, but women won't come to the karate studio. You know, they, the women would drop the kids off or they drop their husband or boyfriend off and they go do a spin class or whatever. It wasn't a comfort zone for them. So a long time ago, I said, you know what? Let's try something. I took it to them. I went to, I called, picked the phone up without any marketing or business background and picked up, I just started calling and I called Honeywell and I must have, because of just down the street from my, my school and my sister used to work there. I called them multiple times. And I got the same thing. Well, you know, this sounds interesting, but uh, we're a Fortune 500 company. We don't have time for this. Uh, we don't need anybody coming in and breaking boards over their heads and, you know, kicking the rooms and, and making people scream. So I, I think, okay, well, let's just keep it up and maybe somebody will say yes someday. I went to Motorola and it took me two months of calls to many managers. And finally, somebody called me back. And this is after I'd been, I'm, they were hanging up on me after a while. I was calling so often. I called, you know, 30 managers at five different locations. And this one woman called me, she said, Mike, uh, do you have this date open? And I said, oh, yeah, uh, let me check my calendar. But I'm sorry, who is this? And she told me her name again. And she said, I'm the new head of security for Motorola for the Southwest. 
including five states, and Arizona is one of them. And I'd like to see what you're what's available for you. I said, well, great, but how do you hear about me? He says, well, when I got here <laughs> a few weeks ago, I started asking around, and your name popped up over and over again. They said three things. He knows what he's doing. He's very polite. Doesn't matter if we hung up on him the time before. He was still polite the next time we called. And he's very persistent. So she said, I want somebody like that. I said, I'm in. And she said, okay. But before you say yes, here's three, two conditions. I said, what is it? She goes, you have to be able to drive or you know, go wherever I say. There's, there's, there's different locations. I said, I'll fly. That's no problem. And she said, all right, number two, you have to be able to do training for all five shifts. I said, what does that mean? She says, your first program will be 4 a.m. And then you do a second one at 8 a.m., another one at noon, 4 p.m., the last one's at 8 p.m. You'll be leaving here about 9, 9 or 10. I said, wow. I said, okay. I, I, I'll have to rearrange my sleeping schedule, but I'm, I'm in. And I thought it was for a day or two. This was for three weeks. That schedule for three weeks. And it was, you know, even in February in, in Arizona, it's cold at, at no, 2 a.m. Um, but I did it. And I got a great letter, which I still use today. And it kind of set the, the ball rolling. That, but from there, I went to Honeywell. They had me back in now. Honeywell, Intel, uh, IBM, Apple. And then I branched out to hospitality. It's Carlton, the Mayo Clinic, uh, the, the, the Four Seasons. And it's it's been now all these years. I've been to 27 states and, and four or five countries. Um, but I go to them. I don't expect them to send their people to my, my karate studio. In fact, I closed all my karate studios. I, I couldn't I couldn't attend. I couldn't be there. I couldn't teach. So I've been doing that and, and going to them. And 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 I think you and I talked about this. This has really kind of blossomed into other things. I I've been teaching CEOs and CFOs and vice presidents how to be better leaders, how to instill more confidence in their employees and their staffs, how to build a team because of showing that you care about them. It's not just here's the next seminar on you know selling ABC widgets. It's about we care about you and we want to make sure you're safe and confident and empowered in and out of the office. And so that's why I, I started teaching things besides the self-defense, but that's still my bread and butter. That's still my forte. Um, my goal is to teach a million women face-to-face. -face. I've hit 600,000 uh, 600, uh, this last year. And, and so I got a ways to go, but <laughs> I'll keep doing it until the body says you can't do it anymore. <laughs> Excellent story. Uh, and a great, great origin story, especially. Um, so powerful. So as you're training these women, um, and obviously they're learning some very specific physical skills, but do you see other changes as well? Oh, yeah. Um, you and I, Wade, will never understand what it's like to be a woman. In fact, sometimes I start the seminar saying, I want to make a, a couple of opening statements. Number one, I'm not a woman. Number two, I've never been a woman or plan to be. So I will never know how you feel. I'll never know the fears that you live with and the things that you've gone through that only a woman would understand. I don't pretend to know, but I do know this. After training several hundred thousand women and hearing their stories and getting to know them, I have a good feeling of what it takes for you to survive and what it's like for you to be more empowered so you don't have to you know, live in a shadow of what happened to you when you were 16 years old on a date. There's a lot of things that I can share with you from a man's standpoint of what to do the next time, hopefully knock on wood, it doesn't happen, but the next time it comes your way. And I think with that, and I'm I'm a I'm a small person, you know, I'm not a huge guy, so I'm not intimidating that way as well. I'm not trying to uh, teach them to, to break bricks over their head. I, I'm I'm coming from their stature of, you know, when you feel that you're 
being intimidated or harassed or uh, being patronized or worse yet being victimized. Somebody puts their hands on you. Uh, I, I can tell you from my standpoint, the guys I've ever, I've ever had a, a confrontation with have been twice my size. So I know that feeling, but I want you to feel like, okay, something happens. There's something I can do. This is the way I start with Wade. I always ask three questions. Number one, could it happen to you? I want the whole group. I don't care if it's a hundred people or a thousand people to say, yes, <laughs> let's get the head shaking. It could happen. I don't care who you are, where you live or how much money you have. Number two, could I stop it? And I don't give them any parameters. What do you mean? I, could you stop it? An assault, a robbery, a purse snatching, a, a kidnapping attempt, or somebody trying to take your child. Could you stop it? And I want them to say yes, but it takes some coach, you know, coaching sometimes. I'm not saying you would. That's up to you. I'm saying, could you? And the, the answer is yes. If motivated enough, I, I, I believe I could. I just have to know how. And the third is, are you worth fighting for? I said, it's a personal question. Everybody has their own answer. But are you worth fighting for? Not your jewelry, not your Cadillac, not your not your job position, even your kids. I know you'd fight for your kids. Are you worth fighting for? And once we get past those three questions, then I can work on things that they need to know, how not to be a target. If you have to hit somebody, where are the vital strike points? How do you control the fear factor? There's five steps, you know, that I call the GC factor. How do you control the, how to get calm? And then we'll go into the techniques. That's the fun part, the techniques, you know, what they're waiting for. That's a, but I say, you know, you'll probably never use these, hopefully. But just like CPR, you know, CPR, you, you take the training, but most people never use it. But if they had to, at least you have something to fall back on. I would know how to do the compressions. I, you know, just train yourself like CPR. Hope I never have to use it, but it's nice to know just in case. Yeah, it seems like there's a mindset that goes along with it as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, it's something that I take for granted sometimes because I started, you know, I was 10 years old. I started as a child, but most people, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, I took a class. Yeah. When they were in their twenties and now they're in their fifties. And now they're asking, okay. I don't know how much you remember, but if you remember something, that's good. It was a good teacher. But I just say, you know, it's nothing bad about being going to a refresher. How about a refresher? You know, I take a CPR class every few years because I just want to refresh what's new. And, you know, am I still doing this the correct way? And that type of thing. Whether I ever use it or not. Whether I use it or not. Yeah. The, you know, the odds of it being used are, you know, are probably not that high. Right. The, uh, I think the knowledge that, that you can probably creates a lot, a lot of confidence, I would think. Yeah. I dare, you know, my first karate instructor was started with one statement, which hooked me right away. He goes, Mike. <laughs> old school guy he goes wouldn't it be nice to walk down any street and doesn't matter what happens or who they are you could take care of it i said yeah that's a great feeling i think i was like 14 years old 15 i said that'd be a nice feeling to have he goes that's what you're here for he didn't say what you're gonna what kind of kicks you're gonna learn you know choke holes or how to escape or you know anything like he just said wouldn't that be nice to have that feeling he said, let's, let's talk, you know, let's start that, that training right now. And that's the way I feel about this. I, I want people to have more confidence about if the worst scenario happens, could you do something, just something, you know, I, I you don't have to go I tell people, you don't have to go 10 rounds. You're not trying to knock him out. You're not trying to, you know, this is not a movie you're filming. It's, can I get home for supper? Can I get home for supper? I got things to do. I got people waiting for me. That's all. That's all I want for you. Have that feeling. I'm going to get home for supper. So that's a really good point. Kind of shifting gears, I want to go back to what you talked about with the CEOs. And um, 
and kind of teaching leadership skills. How, how does this apply in the leadership arena? Well, you know, working with uh, so many Fortune 500 companies, a lot of times they'll have separate classes, one for the salespeople and the, uh, the, the recruiters and the, the people that are doing the day-to-day -day work. And then they'll sometimes have a separate class for the, the VPs and the managers and directors and maybe him, just him and two, three other people, which is fine. In fact, I, I, I think back now, IBM. When I flew out to New York to do something there, uh, I had one class for 250 salespeople. They were getting IBM into offices all around the world. And then the other one was only about 12, I think, 12 people. Uh, his executive staff and his VPs and his um, and, and himself. And I, I, I still remember this day, the check for the CEO and the, and the administrators was to what, 12, 20, 15 people. That was twice as much as the check I got for teaching 250. Yeah. Because I believe in their head, this is what you think. Those people are replaceable. I mean, if somebody quit, they could fill a sales job, right? Or whatever, uh, putting a, one ad in the paper. But a VP that travels for them and is closing six, seven-figure uh, 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 deals where they lose that person, it's going to take them months, if not longer, to get somebody back in their place that person for them in their head and for the numbers is worth more. So they, they take this, this smaller number and say, it doesn't matter how much we're paying. We want these people safe. We can't, we can't afford losing these people. They can't get kidnapped in South America or whatever. Like, you know, teach them what you can. And it's been that way. Does any, does any of what you teach, you know, when you, when you're teaching these skills, uh, do, do you see it kind of go into their leadership approach at all? Yeah, leaders need confidence. You, you'd be surprised how many leaders I've trained, CEOs that have been through the mud, and still today they have a chip on their shoulder or a fear factor. Uh, I'll give you one example. I'm not going to use names, obviously. This gentleman hired me to, in fact, his wife hired me to teach his two teenage sons. I went to their home privately. Um, she, I, she had no, <laughs> no concerns about how much it was going to cost. He went to private lessons for her two teenage boys. While I'm teaching in this huge garage, heated garage with a gym inside, and when I'm teaching these two boys, the father came out. I didn't know who he was. Father came out and, and sat in the back for a while, and then he joined us uh, for the last half hour, 45 minutes. And so when I was done with uh, teaching the kids, uh, he, they walked out. He's like, can I, can I ask you something? He introduced himself as their father and the CEO of a major um, medical company. And he said, um, what would it cost for you to, to be available for me to get private lessons? I want you to do something separate for my, my two boys, but I, I'd like something for, for me. Um, I, I, you know, I was very, at that time, really busy. So I said, you know, if you want something private, would it be two sessions coming to your home, driving all the way up here and, and doing this privately? It would be X amount. And I thought we we're going to negotiate. He said, no problem. And I found out later, um, about the second or third lesson, he had had death threats. He said, I had to step on a lot of toes to be where I am. Um, I've had people that are not happy with decisions that I've made over the years. He said, I'm worried for my kids for kidnapping situations. They go to a uh, high school where if, if something happened, uh, I could see a ransom note coming through the door. He said, for me, I usually feel okay. I travel on a private jet. I have two Navy SEALs, ex-Navy SEALs that travel with me armed i said okay <laughs> i never heard that he said i'm more i said so why would you need these lessons he goes I'm, i don't carry my a gun myself he said they do but i don't he said i'm worried about the times where they go to dinner or take off and i'm alone for 
whatever hours during the day. And it happens then. He says, I just want to be able to get away. I just want to be able to get out of there. So I took his training very seriously. He obviously had some, some things that he was worried about for his safety and his kids. But for leaders, they need to know that even if something happens unprepared, they could handle it. And I think that that kind of rolls over to a business meeting or, you know, a profit share meeting or, you know, selling stock or, or having to, you know, get together with the stockholders and, and tell them what happened and why. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can make you a little nervous. I think he was taking my classes to make when he was punching and kicking and, you know, doing things that he normally doesn't do. It made him feel more confident. So we did that for like three, four months. I was with him every week. So it was a it was a, it was a different type of training. <laughs> I, I can imagine it gives them a whole different perspective at analyst meetings. Yeah, well, yeah, and, <laughs> and you know, I, I think he would agree with this. And if even if he's sitting next to me, he is not the most polite or uh, warm, soft-hearted kind of guy. I could see just from his personality how he might have upset people in the past and stepped on their toes because his goal was to be successful. And, and he said, in my early years, I wish I could take some things back I've said and done, but that's the way it is. I came over from Europe and I had a dime in my pocket and to be where I am today. And I think he was worth something like $10, $12 million a year and not, not even including his stock shares and whatever. <laughs> so when I quoted him, you know, I think it was $22,000 because he wanted tasers. He wanted private lessons for the kids and then for himself. And here's the thing that really made it expensive for me and for him. He, I was at his beck and call. He said, I'm gone two, three weeks out of the month. He said, when I'm in town for three, four days, if I pick the phone up, I need you to say that you could probably get to me within one of those days to get up here and do a training for me because that might be the only time this month. I said, okay. So I rearranged my schedule. So I always had a few days open for him. But yeah, I was, <laughs> I, I could have, I probably could have, you know, charged him Tony Robbins prices. Yeah, it was a good experience. I, 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 I enjoyed doing what I did for him. Yeah, there's a lesson about leaving money on the table there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we've known each other for a while, um, and I know a little bit more about your background. And I know you were you're a high school teacher for a period, but but you kind of left that and chased your passion. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I think, is one of the more powerful parts of your story. Um, what would you say to somebody now that's kind of, you know, maybe is in a job that where they're not in their passion? What would you suggest to them? Wow. Um, I can only speak for myself, Wade, and you and I have probably been through the same type of thought process. I, I never left one passion of mine, which is teaching. I, I've always enjoyed teaching. I've always enjoyed watching somebody's eyes light up because they get it, you know, they just get it. Um, I think that that's a great feeling to have, whether you're early in your career or later, uh, because it's something that's not, um, there's no price tag on it. So I, I suggest anyone that's not happy what they're doing to find a way if not full-time, then to do it part-time. That's the way I started. I was teaching high school, but I had a karate club and I, I started a couple of karate studios. And then I did um, an experiment. I went to um, a couple of places and taught privately for that group and found that I just loved it. So I took a year off. I took a year uh, leave of absence. I could have gone back to that high school here in Arizona a year later. But after a year doing what I was doing, I said, I can't go back. 
Um, I just, you know, I just love what I'm doing. And there's no, there was nobody. And I don't know if there is right now anyone doing exactly what I'm doing the way I do for companies and associations and colleges and, you know, private uh, nonprofits. I don't know if there's anybody doing what I do. So I, I have no regrets. It. I will do say one thing. Be prepared. You've got to be really dedicated and committed because my finances are going like this. I mean, up and down. In the 90s, I did that. In the, uh, 2007 through 10, when the real estate market crashed, I crashed with it because at that point, I was doing 90% of my business with realtors, but paid by title companies, mortgage companies, lenders. You know, And, and when that crashed, the training said, oh, my, give us a call back in six months. We don't know what we're doing. We're, we might have to do some layoffs here. I didn't know six months would turn into four years. So I had to leave what I was doing because there was no business there. And I worked at a college for a while, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, same thing happened with COVID. I mean, that affected everyone, right? When COVID happened for two, three years, you had to change gears. You had to you know, be adaptable and, and be flexible because what I wanted to do wasn't available. No one's going to fly me to Dallas, Texas, or you know, Florida to do a training when I couldn't even get a flight in you know, those two, three years. And I wouldn't want to fly to be honest with you. So yeah, if you're going to do that, be very committed. It, you're going to have to have through some tough skin and be willing to, uh, to take the hits financially and, you know, with your family and everything else. Yeah. So it's a story of passion, resilience, and uh, persistence really. Yeah. Um, I, until I can't physically do this anymore, I'm going to keep doing it. Um, it's not something that I, I do because I'm, uh, I enjoy it. It's way past that anymore. It's something I do because I would never know when somebody might need what I'm teaching or training to, them to do. Uh, it could be the next day, which has happened, or it could be years down the road, which has happened. Uh, but I just know it's it's like CPR. It's life saving. It's it's if they didn't have that that skill set or that mindset, they might not have you know, seeing their kids again, or they might not have, uh, you know, been able to continue because of what happens. It's a sexual assault and a physical assault. It doesn't just hurt the body. And I, I think anyone would agree with that it, it's a mindset and it, it crushes the soul and it gets, makes it hard to trust people. It makes it hard to feel confident about anything anymore. Um, but if they fought back and they still got hurt, there's something that still says, at least I fought, at least I did everything I could. You know, I, I can't say that I just gave up and, and threw my hands up in the air. Um, and I, that's all that's all anybody can ask for, you know, any, in, in any situation. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And there's, there's a lot of a lot goes on in the mind as well, yeah. as well for yeah. sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Wade, for just letting me share with whoever hears this. You know, just, <laughs> I'm here. I'm going to be here until I can't do it anymore. But uh, uh, if we've taken classes together before, you've trained with me. I had a woman that called me. She said, Mike, I took your class. Can I send my my daughter to you? I said, oh, yeah. Well, I remember her name. I said, when did you take class? She said, oh, it was back in 1996 or something like that. <laughs> and she said, now my daughter's grown and she's heading off to you know, college. And I, I, I'd like to you know send her. So you never know. I've had people call me and, you know, say that, Hey, their, their, their best, best friend took my class, uh, you know, 15 years ago and something just happened to, to me and my daughter. I just like to see if you were, it just, you just never know who's ever going to need this. Yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I have uh, one more question for you before I let you get out of here. And that is how do people find you? Uh, you know, 
I've kept very consistent with a couple of things. One is my phone number. Let me give that because it's been the same phone number for over 20, 26 years. I, I, I just made it travel with me no matter who I'm using as provider. It's 480-221-0044. 480-221-0044. Uh, they can reach me by going to just send me a quick text by uh, using that number or an email to Mike at and it's all one word take control self-defense.com again it's mike at take control self-defense.com and i just uh, i'm creating a new um website they can go there if they'd like and just uh, leave me a note or, or send me a message it's uh take control self-defense at u e n i u is umbrella e is an empty and is in nancy i is an important u e n i.com and uh, just basic information there, you know, but they can they can I, they can call me and say, this is what I'm looking for. And I'll just be able to talk to them or send them an email, but love to talk to them or their company, uh, their their club. I've had book clubs. I've had churches do fundraisers. I've had nonprofits that want to do something to get their PR and their name out there. Um, and I've had groups of just you know women. They hang out together. You know, we got a dance group or we got a, a happy hour group that uh, meets every you know, have a couple of weeks and we'd like to do it together. So I will go to them. Doesn't matter where they live, or where they are. I'll go to them. They don't have to worry about how far everybody has to drive. I'll go to them. So yeah, please reach out. I'd love to see if this is a good fit for you. Excellent. And uh, we'll link all that up in the show notes as well so that people have it. And I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Hey, Wade, my pleasure, my friend. It's uh, you and I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. We know what it's like to be banging on doors and having rejection and no's. And, you know, it's a funny. I, I always tell myself, well, they're saying no, maybe because they're just too embarrassed and they, they need this. They really need this. You know, who wants it? I've had people come, oh, I got a gun. I've got this. I've got that. I was in a, you know, the army for t six years. And they're, you know, that was 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. They feel like I could take care of this. But it never hurts. I always tell people, I've been in the business for so many years. I know this much, this, this little, but that's all I know. And, but I'll keep studying. I'll keep learning, you know? So thank you so much for the opportunity. Anyway, you do a great podcast and I hope uh, some people hear this that need to hear this. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for listening to the aim to win podcast. As always like comment, share on wherever it is that you listen to the good podcasts. Mm -hmm.